Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs. And this interview is all about corporate venture capital and its future, especially around the mobility and auto industries. So I'm quite pleased that Christian Nasca, partner at BMW iVentures, is with us today. So I'm curious how Christian ended up in this, his role, and I'm also curious what he's excited about now around mobility and the auto industry, because things are changing quite fast, as we all know. And I'd love to learn more about corporate venture capital. We've had a number of VCs on this podcast, but I think Christian is the first person from a corporate venture capital um, firm. So that'll be interesting. So Christian, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Dave. Definitely. All right. So before we get into kind of what you're doing now, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how you ended up at BMW? Yeah. So I am I'm German. So I, I was born in Berlin and I studied in Stuttgart. Um, I attended a special education program and it was around computer science and economics, so kind of both things. But I would at the same time, I would work at a corporation and was Bosch back then, so a tier one supplier to automotive. I would essentially have no yeah, vacation, no spring break. So any of that, I would always work or, or study, which sounds horrible, but it was actually a lot of fun. And um, so I, in, in the beginning, I already had a lot of internship experience and, and did a lot of uh, computer science and economic, both on 50%, 50%. And, um, also started working like that at Bosch um, in, in the central IT department. Sounds super boring. It was uh, interesting, but uh, changed quite quickly to a more interesting consumer business that um, Bosch has, which is power tools, so all the drilling machines and accessories and all that. And it was also headquartered in the south of Stuttgart and uh, south of Germany in Stuttgart. And um, doing those five years in total that I spent there, where I worked in business development, controlling kind of finance function. I also spent a couple of months in Hong Kong where they sent me for more like an in-house consultancy project. So that was super cool spending time in Hong Kong and also spending time in Shanghai and Hangzhou, which is uh, kind of a small town of 10 million people <laughs> nearby um, of, of Shanghai. So that's, that's how I got started. Um, and um, really, really by accident, I, I met, a, met a guy that was working with BMW back then and told me about iVentures and you know, the rest is history. Huh. So then you just, you just applied or did you get, did he introduce you to somebody there at iVentures? Yeah, so he, yeah, no, it was, was actually very interesting. He had a, a digital consultancy, uh, was also shortly acquired by WPP and uh, he told me I can just start as his company and then work with BMW iVentures. So I did that. And so I had really the first maybe 12 to 18 months or so, I had two hats on. I had the hat on what I did for his company, which I, uh, in the end, was CFO and had all the typical CFO functions. So HR operations, um, processes and all, all of those things. The company had around 30 people uh, at this point. And... At the same time, I would spend more and more time on BMW iVentures. We were uh, created or started in 2011, and as you can imagine, the first first couple so much to do there, and we already had somebody full time in New York, and um, so it made sense this way. And 
but after after a while I joined full time I left um, the company um, I left uh, the person that introduced me back then to BMW iVentures and then became full time uh, when it was time interesting yeah I was curious how um, you know why BMW um, brought you I'm always mm-hmm. curious why VC firms bring on certain people because there's such a diverse you know uh, kind of eclectic group that get into VC you know like, there's not like one path um, so that's a really interesting path. So, so BMW essentially, I, I ventures and invested in this company you're working for as CFO, and you got to know the team there. Is that? Uh, no, no, no. So they didn't invest in them. Okay. The fund was actually not around. Uh, but um, the CEO of this company helped BMW and a lot of other things, just to think through innovation, think through activities gotcha. that they could do. And one of the activities was I ventures. So he was. Uh, he he was senior advisor and still senior advisor to the fund. And uh, in the beginning, he really um, you know helped helped creating the whole unit. Um, and, and and that was really the background there. And and you know BMW was uh, looking at a lot of different innovation uh, you know things and things they could do. And they created this brand, which is now really well known, which is BMW i so the i three and i eight you see on the street today. They weren't really around back then, but um, this was all under the same roof. Um, thinking about new innovative cars, creating cars that were never created before, at least not in this approach. They uh, thought about sustainability and how to save massive amounts of water by creating this new car. And at the same time, they were thinking about new initiatives like car sharing and, and parking and all that. And iVentures was really at the forefront of how innovation could happen in the cooperation with startups and not just on the on the pure corporate side interesting okay and that sounds awesome and so i'm curious why you know why you wanted to join i mean i can think of many reasons but <laughs> what yeah. what, uh, what kind of prompted you like yeah let's try this out yeah i mean it was um i was always interested in in, in startups, as probably a lot of people say that, in, in venture capital, as you alluded to, it's very hard to get in. And so I was very intrigued. And my educational background with uh, computer science and economics, it made super sense over a sudden. It was, okay, yeah, I did this degree and there's this venture capital and you actually need to do a lot of things at the same time. You need to understand computer science, you need to understand business models and all that. So it felt like a very good fit. And then BMW was one of the, obviously, a very well-known brand, and uh, a lot of people loved their products. I did too. And I thought the idea of having a strong brand and trying to do something in a space where there are not really too many, at this time at least, 2011, there were not too many very strong brands doing it. And in addition to that, I was never really interested in the photo sharing app and, you know, like connecting people um, through services where I felt, you know, you have uh, every couple of years, there's a new platform coming around and I didn't really understand the sustainability behind it. And I was always looking for a little purpose in, in those jobs. And transportation is one of those things that everybody needs to deal with and it's it's literally moving people, and uh, it makes a difference whether you can participate in, in the labor force and in, in a job, in your dream job, or not. If you don't have a means to get to a point, then you, you can't, you know, you can't be there. You can't do it. And so it's really life changing for a lot of people. It influenced a lot of people in the U.S., especially with things that happening in New York back then, where Mayor Bloomberg 
was just introducing this new initiative. Um, again, that's 2011, late 2010, um, the big apps competition where he made city data available for developers to um, help the city um, solve challenges and not just for you know for the rich and famous but really for for the people in need and for people that that don't that cannot pay uh, fifty dollars for a taxi back then or so but are, are very much dependent on subways and how, how can we make that more accessible and that vision he had there um, was very much resonating with our vision of urban mobility and urban transportation and so that was also the reason why we started in New York um, besides others but that was um, was very close to our heart gotcha. and to my heart. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and before we get too far, can you kind of give us a, a brief overview on BMWI Ventures, like number of investments, kind of the if you the size of the fund, if you disclose that, and kind of your focus. Yeah. And, yeah. Location. And just give us a, a brief overview. It would be awesome. Totally. Yeah. So we are in our second fund. Fund one was $100 million. We announced our second fund in November last year. It's a 500 million euro or so, 540 or so million dollars fund. It's a true fund. It's, uh, it's not on the balance sheet. It's off the balance sheet. We are investing purely independent. We have a partnership structure very similar to other VCs. So in that regard, we are very far away from here typical corporate VC, but we um, invest through um, a voting of, um, of our four partners. I'm one of them and three partners need to say yes, and then we are um, good to make the investment. And uh, we, um, we, we are typically investing between 500000 to $20 million in companies in the seat to very much Series C, Series D, um, stage where our sweet spot is very much series A and B. Um, and the reason for this quite yeah big stretch here is that we invest in so many different areas in transportation, automotive, that sometimes it makes sense to invest much earlier. Sometimes we have to see a little bit more um, product market fit to, to really invest. And more specifically, we we have eight investment areas. You can also read about them on bmwiventures.com. Um, but in a nutshell, we're thinking about the value chain of, of transportation or automotive, where it really starts with how do you build stuff? Uh, Industrial 4.0 is kind of the, the headline there. Uh, logistics, warehousing, robotics, um, all of that uh, would be uh, in that. And we already invested in a couple of companies in that space. Um, and I will talk a little bit more about that in a second. But um, autonomous driving, of course, the elephant in the room and very much uh, talked about it in the press right now. It's, of course, also our uh, interest area. We um, go very deep there. We can invest in anything from a sensor company, so somebody uh, developing a new type of lighter or camera or uh, radar or so, to the data technology in the car. How do you communicate to outside of the car? V2X technology, so how does a car communicate with the infrastructure in cities? Um, how is that secured? So cybersecurity is uh, obviously um, top of mind as well. Um, access to cars. Uh, and then uh, really leaving this very deep tech um, discussion where we also look at battery technology and everything you can imagine there. We look at um, how people would use those cars. 
what is the future relationship between an OEM and um, and those companies and um, and uh, companies meaning fleets like Uber and Lyft or uh, traditional customers? How is this evolving? And a lot of people believe that um, most of the car ownership will move to fleet ownership. Um, it's already visible in a lot of uh, deals where Uber and Lyft are a little bit stronger. Um, but uh, this is uh, this is something that we spend a lot of time on, and uh, the, the kind of obvious questions there are are how are we buying the cars in the future? Tesla already showed a lot of around dealerships uh, and dealership innovation. Um, I still believe that um, if you have to own a car, and the question is, do you have to own a car, and how do you own it in the future? But um, a car is very much a high touch product, so we still believe that you you want to test drive your car or you want to at least see it or you want to research it in a way that you have a good idea of, of, of product quality and, and things that are important to you like space if you have kids or um, if you're you know like more sporty then you want to you want to definitely test drive it um, there are a lot of different circumstances that make that more important and we just invested in a company yesterday in shift which is used car peer-to-peer marketplace uh, delivering test drives and super um, relevant for millennials and millennials are the biggest um, buyer group there uh, through, through that new experience. But just finishing up the investment areas, we um, of course also look at smart city because that's really the ecosystem where a lot of those services will be deployed, where autonomous driving fleets will have one of the biggest impacts uh, looking at all those uh, congestion uh, traffic jams um, on the street where you can't really get from A to B in New York easily uh, other than subway in, in the rush hour. And I think um, a lot of people that would live in LA or so would uh, would uh, would understand um, um, how that is. And um, yeah, so we are investing in those areas. We um, made 15 investment, we invested in 15 companies in our first fund and we already invested in over 17 uh, companies since our new fund started, so quite a wow. uh, increase there. Um, we have 11 new companies since um, since Fund Two was announced, um, and we did a couple follow-on investments in, in Fund One uh, portfolio companies. Gotcha. And uh, for the, the second fund, or first or second, who is BMW your, your main and only investors, or do you have other investors as well? No. So today. That's probably the most corporate VC attribute to our fund. BMW is the only LP wow. today. Okay, interesting. All right, and um, and and where are you guys located? Just so people know. Yeah. So we. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> people should know. I'm I'm personally located in New York, and that used to be our headquarter until last year. Um, and since 2000, end of 2016, our new headquarter is Mountain View, okay. uh, California. And we have a small satellite office in San Francisco, and we also have two people in Munich right now that cover the European and partly also the Israeli market. Okay, interesting. And and so you, you went through a, a number of areas there. I, I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know, if you have one that's particular, particularly close to your heart, or one that you're excited about, or you spend more time with, and why. Yeah, I. So we don't really have a clear focus of each of the partners today. Okay. Some of the things just naturally happen by um, kind of background or interest level or just by accident. 
But um, so for me, there are probably two areas that I really um, like and where I spend a lot of time on right now. One area is I would call it the picks and shuffles of autonomous driving. <laughs> so a lot of people just look at the, you know, you want to have a cool, fancy car that drives you from A to B and you don't have to worry about any of that. But if you, if you think through the implications of that, there are a lot of things that a driver is doing today or that somebody is doing today that needs to be taken care of and it needs to be taken care of in a, uh, yeah, economical, efficient way so you can still make more money and you don't actually use more labor than before. Uh, that was obviously be the worst case there. And so thinking about um, logistics, thinking about uh, car care in an autonomous world, thinking about the secondary market. So a good comparison there would be Airbnb. As the early days of Airbnb, most of the people were uh, put their apartments on Airbnb and they managed themselves. And now we have more and more, I mean, most of the spaces are feel really more like a hotel just from a management point of view. They are very professional. There are door locks you can access automatically. You uh, have a lot of convenience features now attached to it. And there were secondary markets created by that where cleaning companies, cleaning APIs, uh, APIs for availability, for key access, you know, like uh, companies like August um, that just give you access to an apartment where before wasn't really a big deal and but Airbnb enables all things. And really thinking about um, the autonomous future in the same way and thinking what's kind of the next, where do you, where can you make the most money with in the future? That's really where I like to spend a lot of time on. And we made some kind of uh, yeah, uh, connected bets to that, but nothing uh, nothing major. And I'm still, still looking a lot. And the second... Cool. What's, 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 so, what's an example of an investment you made or yeah, something so, you're looking at? In that yeah, area? so one company in our portfolio would be uh, Stratum. Um, they pivoted from a uh, parking valet type of company. So think of an on-demand valet. You can um, call a person to your location and that person would take over your car and park it somewhere. And then when you need it back, you would call it back. That's how they started and it wasn't really a good business. It was a gross margin negative business, and the CEO realized that very quickly, and we pivoted the company into um, a B2B company using the technology you build to apply that to fleet owners. So today, they are kind of an AI-powered fleet management company. Um, so they are used today by a lot of big companies that we both know, um, OEMs, uh, car sharing, ride sharing, for all kinds of services around that where you have to drop off the car from A to B. You have to wash the car before you hand it over to the next customer. You have to do an oil change. You kind of have to do all those things, and you want to do that in an intelligent way without uh, paper and pen, which is really kind of the mode that most fleets are operated on today, uh, and and just connect it directly with uh, the workers and at different suppliers and manage this whole thing from a dashboard at, at the fingertips cool. so it's like a so ER, it's like an erp for fleets almost or <laughs> in, in, in a way yeah i mean that, that that's one way of looking at it yeah interesting definitely maybe a little more intelligent but okay yeah so what's the and what's the second area you're going to mention yeah the second one that I, I just really love to think about product and how people use product and 
Um, so the example I gave earlier, thinking about ownership models and how customers will interact with OEMs and customers buying cars or using cars, this is really where I spend a lot of my time in. And there are traditionally really three big things for OEMs where you're buying or selling cars, you are leasing cars, so the financial service arm of a lot of the OEMs, and then you have the mechanics, the repair piece of it. And really thinking about all the changes that are happening right now and how the impact might be for, for those verticals, um, this is very intriguing for me. And we are um, spending a lot of time in that in that industry. Or me personally, I spend a lot of time uh, talking to companies that um, provide um, interesting solutions to, to solve that or be prepared for that uh, future. Can you provide an example or an investment or an example of a company? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. No, def- definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, one one of the examples I already mentioned earlier was a company we um, we announced on Wednesday this week. It is a company called Shift. Um, Shift is based in San Francisco. Um, they received funding before from very well-known uh, VCs like DFJ, Highland, um, Goldman Sachs. And in the new round that we led, um, we uh, we led a 38 million Series C. Um, the the, the uh, kind of a spin-off fund from Kleiner Perkins also joined. So it w- was a very, very interesting round. And what Shift is doing, as I mentioned before, is a peer-to-peer used car marketplace. So if you think about how used cars, how you would buy your used cars, probably one of the bigger websites like True Car or uh, one of the others, uh, or you would do it on Craigslist, or you would just see a car on the street with a little paper and the windshield and and call the owner. It's it's very uh, manual today, and you have to go somewhere. You always feel a little bit awkward for kind of trust reasons. Either you're uh, you want to do it in a very public spot because you never know who is actually selling the car. Uh, or you don't really trust that the car uh, really has a mileage that it's saying or really has no problem and you don't really have to spend a lot of money after buying it. And all those problems are solved by Shift where they are um, they have a 200-point inspection uh, program. Um, so it's very much uh, very thorough. Um, you have a, a small warranty even, which in used car dealerships is, is very rare. Um, you have, um, as I mentioned before, the delivery of the test drive, where one of the most intriguing things there was thinking about how how this process works. So one of the statistics we were always intrigued by is that on average, and really depends what statistic you believe, but uh, one statistic we saw is 1.1 visits per car purchase um, per customer. That's essentially what what the reality is today from over 3.5, four visits just 10 years ago, where you would literally go to three or four dealers before you're buying a car. And of course, now a lot of the research is online and people really use it just to, to buy the car, to, to get the car that they know they want. And this combined with um, kind of the, the bad experience that a lot of people see in used car dealerships uh, you you deliver the test drive, there are no strings attached, you can take it or you don't take it. It's not really a sales process, it's just a product experience process. 
And so people people really resonate to that. People really don't feel the yeah. pressure. And because they don't feel that, they actually buy more cars. And it's the highest industry rate that I ever seen in conversion between test drive and purchase. And um, that, that's really what, what excited me. And they have great unit economics and um, it's, a, it's a massive market. Yeah, I would use that. I, I hate selling cars. <laughs> it's, just, yeah, it's a huge <laughs> yeah. yeah to, for, to all your points. So uh, that's, oh, yeah, that's cool. And so uh, you, you kind of touched on it earlier, but it sounds like the iVentures is, it's different than maybe more of a traditional corporate venture capital. Are you guys... Because you're more standalone, is that kind of a is that correct or um, yeah? How, I guess do you have any type of uh, focus or guidance from BMW on uh, where you want to go? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We uh, we, we want to, as I said, BMW is a single LP. Um, there are a lot of things we do together. Um, And I think the most important piece is just that BMW gave us the ability to make decisions on our own, which is important for two things, which is uh, one is speed. If you always have to go back and check in, this this doesn't work out. You have, there was an interesting KPMG report a couple of years ago. It was talking about the different uh, clock speeds. And there is a clock speed of, of a corporate is, is obviously very slow. It's a huge clock. It's uh, massive. And then the startup is very fast. And then you try to kind of align those two. And of course you fail. So you have to give, if you want to open a corporate venture capital firm, you really have to uh, make sure you you deliver tools there that, that are competitive. And um, if a startup feels it's always lagging and everything takes much longer and it's more the corporate speed, which uh, that, that really doesn't work out for them. And so speed is, is one of the important pieces that we get through that. And then really having an outside in knowledge transfer piece here where we see a lot of things that um, our colleagues can't really spend as much time on as we do. But there's still a lot of engineers that spend way more time on other topics. So we really try to try to do both here. We, like for a center technology company, as I mentioned earlier, a topic we invest um, we would, we talk already to yeah, 10, 10, 20, 30 engineers there on a regular basis, understanding what they see in the market, what really from an engineer point of view is important and what's not important. And there's so much noise in our industry today. Uh, in 2011, that whole space was not really sexy. Nobody really understood why transportation would be a big thing to invest in. That changed, <laughs> and uh, what also changed there is there are so many companies doing very similar things. And if you don't really have this deep tech knowledge, then it's hard to cut through the noise there. And so we really believe that we can do a great job in cutting through this noise much faster by using BMW's resources. And then, of course, it's a win-win-win. The startup has a connection to very smart engineers that don't do anything else but that. And BMW sees companies very early on and can engage with them. And we hopefully make smart investment decisions and not just go after the bus, but after um, substance. Um, so that's really one broader example how um, BMW, um, how we work with BMW and, and how we um, make sure that what BMW sees on the corporate side is also uh, 
uh, you know, plays an important role for our investment decisions. Yeah, I can see, you know, corporate venture capital funds have a big advantage of that way that you kind of have the insider knowledge. It's pretty intimate, which is, but I'm curious, you know, how compared to like traditional VC firms, you know, what advantages do they have over you guys? Anything or, um, yeah, is there anything? There are, you know, there are ton ton of examples where they, where they have many advantages and that's why we also like to partner a lot with traditional VCs, um, either as a co-lead or just um, being a strong partner in the round. But w- one thing that I just want to make make sure and and uh, you know, just underline here, it's not just um, it can actually be a disadvantage if you have too close access to the corporation, and that's why the independent there is mm. so important. Just being close to the corporation and not having an independent will lead in most cases to uh, biased decisions where you want to invest in your supplier or you want to invest in whatever your corporation tells you is a smart decision, but that might not be the biggest market. That might not be the best player from a venture capital point of view. And that's why there are some stereotypes around corporate VCs where they overpay or they invest in companies that are not really you know, sustainable. And so that's why it's really important to have those two things, very close connection to the corporation, but having the abilities to making investment decisions independently and we, um, we we have that. The, so your question, what, what are the advantages for institutional investors? They, of course, have massive experience in analyzing markets, in knowing exactly what a conversion looks like in in you know in any market, really, um, what they focused on or invested in. They saw companies going from zero to an IPO. We did not go through that process yet. So we really look to um, those institutional investors, also to to teachers, and then we're listening. And we don't believe we we know everything, and we are we're trying to focus on the things where where we are really strong, which is um, automotive, transportation. We spend a ton of time in that space, and most other institutional investors, uh, you know, they have to focus on many topics, and they look to us for that inside knowledge in transportation. And uh, ideally, we complement each other this way. Gotcha. Okay. And and on a personal level, what does a kind of a mm-hmm. typical week look like for you? Just trying to get a feel, let people know like what you're doing. You know, what percentage of time you yeah. s- spend sourcing, you know, new investments versus like working with existing companies, and yeah, you know, how do you kind of allocate your time? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a tricky one. You <laughs> always feel a little bit like a lonely wolf in in VC. You have a lot of people you talk to, but um, on the topics you're working on, you're you're mostly alone. Um, it's uh, small teams and very dedicated. Um, so I'm traveling a lot right now. As I said, I'm in New York. The rest of the team is in San Francisco. So my a uh, typical month would look would look like one and a half weeks in San Francisco and two and a half weeks in New York and maybe some other business trips in between. I don't really go back to Germany very often, maybe twice a year. So my typical work week really depends on where I am. Um, it's probably 50% of my time spending on the portfolio companies. I have a couple of board seats and observer seats and that keeps me busy. And then um, probably talking to new companies, 
it's a little bit less now than in the past, but maybe 10 to 20% uh, to new companies and then 30%, um, you know, team um, networking on, on the VC side um, uh, with other VCs to, again, to, to see if we can um, work on a deal together or um, what's going on. People ask us for their opinions on, on things where we already invested or, you know, the typical typical day I think of a VC there where I have a lot of brief calls where people want to get their expert opinion on, on, on things. And um, you're, used, you're used like that by startups, by other corporations. It hopefully it can be a win-win where you can then bring in that corporation and make them a customer to one of your um, portfolios where... Uh, that's really where I spend most of my time, as I said, 50% for business development or other things for our portfolio where we try not only with BMW, but also with other OEMs. I Just yesterday, I talked to somebody from Jaguar Land Rover, um, spent a ton of time with Toyota and other OEMs. We, you, know, you have to understand as an OEM VC that most companies that sell to OEMs need to sell to all OEMs or to many OEMs to be successful. And if you don't understand that, then you will force them into a corner where they won't be valuable and it won't be interesting from a financial point of view. Interesting. Well, that kind of leads to my next question was what's one thing in the car industry that might, uh, that you've learned that might surprise us. That's that actually might be a good one right there. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's, so, so that's actually true. Yeah. So one company that was announced announced a new investment round just earlier this week, Nauto. Um, there are there are two other OEMs and an insurance company invested in that uh, in that company. So it's GM, it's Toyota, and ourselves in the same company. And was never a question whether that's a good thing or bad thing. It's, it's very clear that the more the merrier and the more uh, are invested, uh, the, the clearer the path to becoming a standard or, or being able to sell to, to many. Because really what's a, there is a big disconnect between the traditional OEM way of looking at things and the venture capital and startup world. So one of the first things that I was very surprised by when I moved from Germany to the U.S. is you really share everything with everyone. You, hmm. uh, you know, there is not the, the company, your holy grail that you protect um, uh, a lot where you don't want other people to talk to. But here it's really like, have you already talked to them? Have you already spent time with, with those people? It's really building networks and it's a lot of giving and it's more... You know, this will come back to me. It will be of a, uh, an advantage for me in the future. Maybe not right now, but I'm sure it will help me. And this attitude is is great, and it really helps to open doors. And I try to um, to really uh, live live by those uh, values. And, and what was the name of the company that the the three of you uh, OEMs invested invested in? That was Nauto. Um, N A U T O. Okay. Um, so they have a aftermarket device that you put into your fleet car. So they're um, selling to B2B fleets um, and it's a, it's a dash cam. So a camera, wide angle camera that looks into the indoor of the car or the truck. 
and a camera that looks outside and yeah. um, the computer vision behind it, object recognition and a lot of other services they can do on top. Um, that's, that's their core product right now. And really the hardware product is obviously it's, it's a means to an end. Um, ideally, we can integrate those things in existing infrastructure, but it's always a, a yeah. clockwise problem that I described earlier. You, you have to create momentum for yourself and People won't just believe you if you say I can do that and let you let you take over the car. But if you have proven that those millions of miles and um, data points, that becomes more valuable. Yeah, and they got I think a fair amount of press, or at least at one point I, I remember reading about them. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so we're getting near the end, but uh, I got two or three more questions. And so. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you can think of that like the, the autonomous vehicle industry or mobility that they're uh, that they're not really thinking about a whole lot, but you guys are thinking about it a lot, and maybe it's like the picks and shovels of the of that industry. But is there anything else that uh, you think people should really start paying more attention to? I mean, we we talk to a lot of smart people in that industry, so I wouldn't generalize that. We have okay. kind of the secret sauce there, but um, I think people, uh, especially in Silicon Valley, I have to say, often spend a lot of time just looking at this new sensor technology or this new, you know, whatever technology that, that will be built into the car. I think we really have to pay more attention around um, the policy elements of it. Um, if the government tells you you can't have an autonomous car on the street, then it doesn't help you that you have the best sensors. It's it's really, it's way more important in the autonomous world and in the transportation industry today to form public-private partnerships. So I think there needs to be way more education on how that can actually look like. A lot of cities are already understood that. Um, other cities are a little bit behind. And um, I think uh, actually Madison, uh, where I believe you live, <laughs> is actually a good example for a city being a little bit more um, straightforward and being um, being forward-thinking there, at least the articles I read. So um, public-private partnerships, policy, I think, is one, one of the things. Um, how to manage those fleets, and that goes back to the picks and shovels a little bit. Um, not just having the car, but how do you make, how do you um, launch uh, autonomous fleet in in a geo. Um, how do you um, how do you get the data back uh, uh, where where uh, you know there might be uh, there might be uh, pro- just problems around uh, the data policy and how do you make sure that your fleet can still improve by but still allowing for certain data privacy that um, you have to follow in, in a more public room. So there's a lot of those questions and insurance is another topic there um, that, uh, that, that of course, is, is a given today. But if the machine drives a car, who is taking responsibility, who is paying for which piece, um, and uh, at, at what point... Um, uh, do we, you know, is insurance cheaper or is it more expensive? Um, those those questions are not clear yet. There are a lot of statistics around that where people believe it might just be the same, but um, you can have uh, different opinions about that. Let's say it's this way. Gotcha. All right. And mm-hmm. Interesting. And all right, so three quick, more personal questions here, and then mm-hmm. unfortunately we probably have to wrap up. And uh, 
and you you got to fly out to uh, Germany here too. Um, so one is <laughs> you know, when can the, it, and this I know this is gonna be a guess, but the, when when can I expect to um, hail a self driving vehicle or a t- self driving taxi here in Madison um, or another city? I mean, you could pick Boston or something like that. But when do you think it'll they'll start to coming out? If you had a guess. <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> yeah, I think next year. I think next, next year, year will be the. What? Year. Yeah, I think next year there will be cities where, um, where you will have the ability to to hail some some sort of autonomous car. Wow, with, without it, a driver. So I, I guess the. Or... So, so the question is: Is there still an engineer on the on the side, or is the car uh, completely just a passenger and nobody else? Uh, that's a bigger question. I think the autonomous driving car that picks you up and nobody's really doing anything, but you have a safety person in there, I think that will happen next year. Okay. If you're looking at the car is purely autonomous, there's no kind of safety person in there that just makes sure that nothing goes wrong on the technology side, then I think we will be more in 2020, 2022, in, okay. that, in that range, depending on the um, location. Gotcha. All right. Well, that'll be interesting. Um, all right. Yeah. I can't wait to try that out. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So do you ever get to test driving a BMW's cars? When, when that I series came out and I forgot which one it was, I mean, I'm not a huge car guy, but man, that is a nice look. One of the, I forgot which one it was, but it was a nice looking car. Like I, and I don't get the, too excited. I ate you yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that yeah, is but unbelievable. I think, <laughs> No, we're we're. I think we're very similar. I wasn't really a big car guy either. I was always more fascinated around um, transportation yeah. as a whole and cars, part of that. But I wasn't really a big gearhead ever. Um, so yeah, the IA came out with those wing wing doors. Uh, yeah. Kind of a lot of people uh, resonated to that. And yeah, actually, funny story there. We uh, we had the chance to connect. Uh, so there were only a few, like a handful of cars or so available uh, at the launch a couple of years ago. And um, a few of our portfolio companies had exclusive access there to buy one of those for the company or uh, personally. Wow. Um, and uh, so that obviously a great perk for them. It was still an expensive car, but um, for press purposes and for just for marketing purposes, it made a lot of sense for, for some people. So, um, as you can imagine, there were no other cars on the street, and there were only in I think back in California most of them. And um, so the startup CEO could take uh, press or some other investors around and borrow it to investors. So people were very excited about it, and um, I drove it as well. And it's, yeah, I never saw many people look at me on the street after <laughs> this car back then. <laughs> so, that's that awesome. was uh, interesting. Was it was it pretty yeah. nice to drive? I have not. That was pretty nice. Yeah, it's a sporty car. You you lay really uh, low uh, on the street, and I never really drove a sports sports car yeah. before, and uh, that's it's incredible. And I did this in New York as well uh, a couple of years ago, which uh, similar reactions, and it's uh, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Nice. All right, and last question: What, what do you like to? When you're not thinking about transportation, and maybe you always are, but if you're not, what do you like to do in your free time? <laughs> no, I have a I have a, a private life as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
I I I, lo- I love to uh, play tennis, squash, any anything with a racket, really, or volleyball. It's um, so yeah, hiking is great. Uh, living in New York, uh, Catskills is amazing to go up there. It's um, all, all of those things, depending on my time. Um, try to connect sometimes. Pleasure is work trips, going to interesting places. At least spend a couple hours to see city, try the local food, and and uh, yeah, that's that's probably it. Nice. Uh- that sounds good and uh good to stay active and uh well i think that uh pretty much does it unfortunately but really christian really appreciate you coming on our podcast and telling us your story and i definitely learned a little bit definitely a lot about the the car industry and where it's headed and um it's pretty cool stuff we're working on so thanks for uh, sharing your story thanks for having me definitely and uh i'll have to keep tabs on other new investments you guys make and uh yeah you guys are kind of uh planning planning and building the future with your companies which is it's a pretty fun thing to do um yeah no thank you and uh thanks everyone for listening to another episode of flyer labs as always i definitely appreciate it and we'll see you next time thanks everyone thanks christian